Support for MPB comes from the Mississippi Museum of Art in Jackson. What Became of Dr. Smith by artist Noah Satterstrom is on view now through September 22, 2024. Learn more at msmuseumart.org. This podcast is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting. It's made possible in part by contributions from podcast listeners. Please consider making a contribution by going to the Donate Now tab at mpbonline.org. Thanks for your financial support. Welcome to the Mississippi Arts Hour on MPB Think Radio, where each week we bring you an in-depth conversation with a creative Mississippian. I'm your host, Lauren Rhodes, at the Mississippi Arts Commission, and today I'm talking with author and MAC Artist Fellowship recipient Exodus Octavia Brownlow. Exodus graduated from Mississippi Valley State University with a BA in English and earned her MFA in Creative Writing from Mississippi University for Women. Her debut fiction chapbook, Look at All the Little Hurts of These Newly Broken Lives and the Bittersweet, Sweet and Bitter Loves, was published with Ethelzine and Press this year, along with her debut collection of essays, I'm afraid that I know too much about myself now to go back to who I knew before and oh Lord, who will I be after I've known all that I can, which was published with ELJ Editions. Welcome Exodus, congrats on your books and your fellowship grant and thank you so much for joining us today. Hi, it's so good to be here. I can't tell you all how honored I am to have this time with you all. Uh, and thank you so much for the congratulations. It, it truly means the world to me. Well, you have, you've had so much exciting news happen to you this year. Um, and I, I definitely want to get into your, your books. We'll, we'll cover those, but let's start at the beginning. Um, you currently live in Blackhawk, Mississippi. Did you grow up in Blackhawk? I did actually. I've been here my entire life. Um, and I've, I've traveled, um, I'm not the most well-renowned traveler in the world by, uh, by no stretch of the imagination, but I've been around and it's such a secular and, and beautiful place, Blackhawk, Mississippi, and mm-hmm. that I feel like it's very distinctive um, as, a, as a Mississippi place because Mississippi has so many different regions and so um, much culture and so um many aspects to it and Blackhawk has its own individual sort of identity on its own yeah well what do you because you're you're in the hills correct that's like the hills region of Mississippi <laughs> and I know you live in like a, I've seen photos of where you live it looks very beautiful um, uh, yes so we do call it the hills because it's a very hilly region it's it's so funny because Oftentimes, like when we get people who've never been out here before are like random people who need to deliver things to us and they've be- never been to this specific region. They have to call here and make sure they're in the right like space because we've gotten everything from the hills to like, OK, is this the Grand Canyon? Like, is this the city's <laughs> version of the Grand Canyon? Um, it's, it's, I always encourage people if if they have any relatives around in this region to come out and visit because um, it has almost this quality to it that feels European in a sense because mm-hmm. I, the rolling hills, the dense forest, um, it's very mountainous to a degree. So yeah, I've, I've been here all my life and it's just a place that has brought me so much peace and inspiration um, and joy, truly. Well, I, I think that really shows in your your writing as well. Um, 
Well, growing up, were you a creative kid? Did you do you come from a creative family who loves um, books and and writing? Is that something you were drawn to as a child? Yes, so I've I've been writing my whole life. Uh, started out as a poet, um, then ventured off into fiction just because I really love that setting a lot more. Um, and just started back now getting into poetry a little bit. I love mm-hmm. to include um, some of the more poetic elements in my fiction because there's something so beautiful about working with the language um, on a very intimate level in that way. Uh, but my family... Uh, I have a lot of creatives in my family that aren't necessarily writers, but they're creative in other ways. Like mm. perhaps they sew, are they are they cook, are they sing? And these are all things that I feel like feed the soul that uh, we all tend to enjoy and seek because there's something very healing and enjoyable about uh, creative arts in many different uh, genres. Mm -hmm. But a huge inspiration to me has to definitely be my auntie uh, Lula, who we call Nanny because she took care of all of us, me and my cousins and I. She took care of all of us and she was a, she is rather a very spectacular storyteller. Mm -hmm. Um, The kind of person who like you can, you can bring up any topic and she has a great story to go along with it. And she has the theatrics and the tone of her voice and her gestures and her humor and her timing. So she has definitely been such a huge inspiration to my creative process. Like I've written about her. Uh, She's one of my big supporters. I just, that person that every family member has, that every family has, who brings that sort of joy to a special occasion. Like when you want to hear a great tale, She's the person to go to. And that is such that is such a valuable skill. And it is not easy to tell a story well. I feel like that is an underappreciated artistic skill for sure that many, many Mississippians are lucky to have. Um, that's for sure. Do you consider yourself a storyteller as well? I don't think so on the level that she is. Mm-hmm. Like she can be in front of like several different people and just execute a story like flawlessly right with Uh me I feel like I need to sit down I need to think about it I can see it in my head clearly it's a full picture I can hear the voices I can hear the music I can hear the conversation but because of how I am where I worry about the details a little bit more than my aunt nanny who's just here to make sure people have a good time so I think when you have that freedom, it allows you to storytell in that way. Because as you were saying, it is such a skill. It's like, it's a live performance and you don't have Mm -hmm. any script. You're going off of your own mind, your own memory. And as I was saying, for me, I can see everything, but because I care so very much about the final product, I have to sit down. I have to think about it. Um, But as far as the conversation goes, that's fine. But if I know if I'm trying to tell the story in in a right way, I'm nowhere near my aunt nanny skill. I'll say mm-hmm. that. <laughs> well, were you also a a reader as a kid? Did you like to escape into books? Oh yeah. Um, there was it was just a special time um growing up and reading and just being able to like lose track of time. 
because the way the words captured me, the way you can see the worlds clearly, the way you can hear the voices, uh, it's just it's like it's 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 one of those things that uh, shaped my childhood and my adulthood, my adulthood as well. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that you can be a writer without like wanting to be a reader, uh, being an active reader, having a history with that reading. So I, I love to read a lot of Greek mythology. I love to read mm -hmm. uh, a lot of fantasy, uh, literary fiction, all of those things. And learning lessons in ways that may not have been particularly true. Maybe they're fantastical. Maybe they're rooted in, you know, science fiction. But learning those things and seeing yourself through those characters, uh, I I just thought it was wonderful. Like, I thought it was such a power to be able to do that and with just letters, with just pages. Right. Well, did you have a, a book when you were a younger kind of, a, you know, starting off writing, did you have a book that influenced you or really spoke to you in some way? Um, hmm. You see, this is a good question. And I feel like every writer- I put you on the book. spot. <laughs> <laughs> it's but, like picking a favorite child, right? Yeah. <laughs> and And then, you know, it's so funny because it also changes- uh, depending on what age you're viewing that that mm -hmm. at, but um, for me, I I really liked um, the Disney princesses stories. Teenagehood, we we were growing up during the Twilight era, so yeah. everybody was obsessed with you know this sort of idea of being immortal and beauty beautiful and indestructible forever. Like that was really compelling as a teenager to me, and then getting into college, uh, really discovering some of my favorite um, African-American writers, Black writers, I am a huge, huge, huge Zora Neale Hurston fan. Mm -hmm. Their Eyes Were Watching God is something that I um, always talk about because for me, her, uh, Janie's look into becoming a woman during that specific time where she's had to endure you know three different relationships and each time she's a different woman each time she becomes the woman that she's been wanting to be the whole time and you know it's it's just it's just some a lesson that has stuck with me because I think there's something so very important about having the bravery to ask yourself who do you want to be in spite of what the times might say and and trying to pursue that as best as you can. So for me, it's a book that I try to read every 10 years or so because it's, it's definitely something that grows with you as you continue to age, as you continue to, you know, become more confident and uh, become, become more knowledgeable about why things are the way that they are and why you are the way that you are. That's so amazing to read a book at different phases of life and see how you've changed and how the book has seems to have changed as well. Um, well, I, I let's transition to your, your college years. You went to Mississippi Valley State University. Did you go there knowing you wanted to become a writer? Did you take creative writing classes? I absolutely did. So um, registration uh, was held in the auditorium and they had all the majors there and the classes that you could take as a freshman. And I saw English with a focus in creative writing and I didn't have 
any doubt in my mind that that's what I wanted to do. Now, you know, because writing in English is not thought of as something that, you know, supports us, that pays the bills, um, I, I, I think not having that thought, not having that fear um, allowed me to sort of just pursue it without any second thoughts. Mm -hmm. And, you know, just hoping that, hoping for the best um, and doing the best that I could. So I was very lucky that uh, in spite of that choice, it worked out. And lucky because I also had such an amazing support system at mm -hmm. Valley, teachers who saw me and saw what I was trying to do and encouraging me to continue to write, encouraging me to submit, uh, giving me direction. I would not have ended up at the W without uh, Valley because um, Dr. Zing, who is um, over the English department at Valley, was the one to point me in the direction of the W. So, oh, wow. so many connections. Um, you know, the, we worry about choices a lot. And sometimes they work out and sometimes they don't. But a lot of times they do work out um, by just with us doing the best that we can. And, and also just focusing on the people who focus on us in the right ways, if you know what I'm saying. Um, yeah. So, yeah, that Valley was a great experience for me. And the English department just had, had so much love for me. And I continue to just be in awe of that experience each and every day. And so did you attend the W um, right after you graduated from the Val from Bisbee Valley? So it had to been a, maybe a year after I graduated because the W didn't have their, their MFA program yet. Okay. So I think I had graduated, had gra been graduated from Valley for a year, um, maybe a year and a half. And Dr. Zing emailed me about the program that was starting there. And he was telling me uh, that it would be a good fit for me, that it was um, the very beginnings and telling me a little bit about Dr. Dunkelberg and basically the application requirements. I was like, yes, like this sounds fantastic. So um, I was part of the first class at the W and it it was, it that, that also was a great experience. Um, in different ways in the Valley, but also very similar too, in, in that my teachers were just an amazing support system. Mm -hmm. Hi, I'm Lauren Rhodes. You are listening to the podcast version of the Mississippi Arts Hour. The Arts Hour is a co-production of the Mississippi Arts Commission and MPB Think Radio. You can also listen to the show on Think Radio every Sunday afternoon at 5. To have access to all Arts Hour interviews, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. Deep South Dining is the show all about the culture of Southern flavor. From fried chicken and collard greens to shrimp and grits and a glass of sweet tea. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or download our MPB public media app. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. You're listening to the Mississippi Arts Hour on MPB Think Radio. I'm Lauren Rhodes at the Mississippi Arts Commission, and today I'm talking with author Exodus Octavia Brownlow, who just published a collection of essays and a fiction chapbook. Um, so before the break, we were talking about um, your experience at uh, Mississippi University for Women's MFA program. Um, 
so what I think is really cool about their MFA program is they don't make you, when you first start out, pick whether you're going to be like a poetry concentration or fiction or nonfiction. Did you have a genre in mind that you wanted to study while you were there? Absolutely. It was fiction all the way for me. Okay. Um, you know, I, I know that I'm like a lot of times I'm known for my CNF, my creative nonfiction, which I love to write. Mm-hmm. Um, but fiction is is like if you had to make me choose a genre to write for the rest of my life, I couldn't pick any other. It would always be fiction. Okay. Um, and I, I think there was just something like it's it stuck with me. Um growing up as a teenager and sharing some of the books that I love with my friends, you know, being in high school and us obsessing over whatever book that we were reading that week or that month. And I wanted to have, I wanted to be able to do that for other readers. I thought, wow, like this isn't, this is amazing. Like these characters aren't real. This, this, this world isn't real, but we're, we're passionate about these characters as if they're real, they're real. We're rooting for them. We're worried about them. We're hoping that the end works out well. So I wanted to be able to do that with my writing too. And that's not to say that you can't do that with poetry. You can't do that with creative nonfiction. You absolutely can. You absolutely can. I'm learning that. But I think because of that history that I've had with novels or short stories, like it's just stuck with me. So when I went to the W, I knew for sure that it was going to be fiction for me. Okay. And, um, did you write a, a novel while you were there? What were you What were you working on? Collection of short stories. So actually, it was a novel, and it was a novel titled Afros. Um, so that was my thesis project. Oh, cool. And uh, Chris, um, Chris Lee, he was my mentor for it, and I it it was such an intense process. But one that I look back on is like, mm, you know what? I actually could go through that again. Like that wasn't <laughs> too bad. But um, as of now, I haven't done anything with that thesis because I do feel like a lot of times we can write things for ourselves and they can be successful. But then you take some time away, you take another look at it and you realize, hey, it might actually need to be this. I might need to write from this character's perspective. And so being okay with that, I think, is such a big, important part of being a writer. It, it allows you to just free yourself up to be creative, but also sort of remembering that the final product might be completely different from what you initially thought it'd be. Exactly. We just recently had the Misby Book Festival, and I, I was hearing an author talk about their practice book that you know, never will see the light of day, but they needed to write it in order to get to the version of the book they did end up publishing. So yes, yes, um, yes, yes. Well, how do you, because you do publish quite a lot of creative nonfiction and, and I I want to talk about your book of creative nonfiction as well. How do you know when you want to cover a topic or an idea or question in a short story or in an essay? Um, a creative nonfiction piece? I think for me, it's when I'm writing creative nonfiction, it's because I'm trying to understand something about myself. And if I'm trying to understand something about myself, I feel like other people are also trying to understand this very specific thing about themselves. And if I'm feeling okay, and if I'm not feeling too vulnerable, and if I'm feeling confident enough about it, 
I'll go ahead and write it as creative nonfiction or an essay. Now, if I have an idea, and you know, every story has a lesson, it has something that it's trying to tell you. If I have an idea and it's very, you know, bizarre, because a lot of times mm-hmm. I write, I I will write literary fiction with like like horror to it, mm-hmm. or fantasy elements, or science fiction elements, um, or southern literary fiction elements, and it's just too it's it's too out there for it to be any way creative nonfiction then that's fiction for me but yeah I both genres I absolutely adore um fiction is I I always think of it as the genre that I like to play in the most and uh creative nonfiction or essay writing is where I like to be a little bit more personal the most Mm -hmm. Well, you do both so successfully, and I know I I am jealous. I'm sure many other writers are jealous as well because it's not easy to hop from one genre to the other. Um, I would love to know where you find inspiration for your your writing. Do you seek it out, or do ideas occur to you? Um, most of the times, ideas just occur to me. Um, and one of my biggest tips, because I know a lot of people struggle with inspiration on, on what to write, I always say go with the thing that is at the back of your mind. You know, those random thoughts that we get to ourselves. I wonder about this. I wonder mm-hmm. about that. I wonder about this. Write them down. I always keep several journals of projects that I hope to come into fruition. And I will literally jot down a one sentence either a title or a description or a theme and they there's there's a story that you could possibly write that's an essay that you could possibly write i feel that we're always having ideas we're always having um random moments that could make for a great piece or a great um essay or creative nonfiction piece and to not really deny ourselves the chance to write that idea down like in spite of the work it might entail, it's still exciting because mm-hmm. that's something that could be one day, right? So that that's basically, that's that's how I like to approach uh, working on my pieces. Like it's usually a random thought that I'm thinking about, even an image, even something super, super duper strange. I'm going to jot it down because there's there's something to that, right? Yeah. So that's, that's what I like to do. That's like my biggest tip for staying sort of in this mode of inspiration ideas can be so fleeting too right like how many of us Mm -hmm. have thought of something and then we're like (laughs) oh that's a great idea I'll definitely remember it and then poof it's gone gone. I I, I've had that I've had that happen before and when I can't get to a a journal to physically write it down I'll text it to myself Mm -hmm. or email it to myself that's a great I think that's a great tip as well for for yes And just be sure to go back and look at those texts because they'll <laughs> add up. I had recently had to go back and look. I was like, wait, it's some stuff in here from way back in February. I haven't even written them down. God forbid something happens to my phone. Because oh my then gosh. That's lost. But yeah, definitely do a routine check-in on, on stuff that you send to yourself. That's a great idea. Um, well, let's let's talk about your books. You have published both a chapbook and a collection of essays. The same year, um, so double the the congratulations. Have you? Why don't you talk about your your fiction chat book first and tell us a little bit um, 
about the publisher, Ethel Zine, and mm-hmm. what your your fiction chapbook is about. So uh, my fiction chapbook was actually the first um, piece of, of solid physical book publication that I got accepted. Um, and it's called Look at All the Little Hurts of These Newly Broken Lives and the Bittersweet, Sweet and Bitter Loves. Um, when I when I started compiling this very humble, very delicate collection of stories, um, I intended it to focus in on one of my favorite genres to write in, which is romance. And romance can be, as the title says, bittersweet. It can be sweet. It can be straight up bitter. Mm-hmm. And so I like, I just had fun with it, basically. I, I love writing about love because I feel like that's something that we all actively seek, whether it be romantic love or w- whether it be like just the the adoration of, of people just admiring something that you do. We just have this very um, natural desire to feel like we're being appreciated, feel like people see us for who we are. So basically, that's what this collection is. And the thing about it, because I know I'm, long, I'm known for my long titles, uh, this collection, the first five stories in this collection are the look at all the little hurts of these newly broken lives part. And they focus in on a family that has become broken and, and it's no longer a family anymore. Mm-hmm. And then there are other stories that are not linked at all that are either bittersweet sweet or bitter and so I just thought it would have been what ended up being a good idea to uh, add both of these um, ideas together and just sort of combine them into one very delicate collection of uh, fiction well and I think delicate is such the perfect word because the that press all of the books are handmade yes they were I was very intentional with this collection because I knew I wanted Ethel to be top at my list. I, 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 you know, this was before I even knew I was going to have an essay collection out. This was before I even got an agent. This was before a whole lot of things. And to me, I wanted my first book to be made by somebody who cared in ways that mattered to me. It mm-hmm. takes so much effort to hand bind things. It takes so much effort to cut through fabric and sew it to a cover. And Sarah is, is just an amazing artist and an amazing person and so incredibly generous. So when I got my acceptance with her, with Ethel, I was delighted because these stories are very delicate. Her work is very delicate. And I thought that the two of them would go so perfectly well together. And I feel that I'm right in that. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's a work of art on many different levels. It's a, just a gorgeous book. Um, have Have you learned anything about the publishing process or anything that surprised you as a, a debut writer, debut author? Definitely all the business aspects to it. Um, I always say that I'm like, I'm, I feel really comfortable in the artistic version of writing in that aspect. But the amount of business that I've had to learn, and it hasn't been, you know, a super um, tough process or anything like that. But thinking about things like, oh, 
order extra copies because people might want to buy directly from you. Mm. Oh, look into the bookstores that you'd potentially like to have uh, author readings at. Oh, um, make sure that you use PayPal or something that has a great way to document who's buying your book because, of course, taxes for next year. So, <laughs> <laughs> so there's so many things that it, it they it, it's surprising because as artists, we're so focused on that art. Uh, the amount of business that this all entails. And again, it hasn't been difficult. Trust me, if I can learn to, to work through it, anybody can. <laughs> but yeah, it, this, it truly shows just how much, um, how dynamic publishing is. We, we focus so much on our craft and our creations and the books, but there's also so many other aspects to it too. And it's been kind of cool to work my way through it and learn through the business. That's a good a good reframing of it because I'm sure it can be stressful too. It's such a different skill set, but um, it's such yeah. a valuable skill set to know how to market and represent your work to to people. Very um, much so. So that they can read your words. Yes, absolutely. So, you know, you have some writers are incredible at it. Like they are just stellar stars. They'll make book trailers. They'll have a whole flyer up with the like the bookstores that they're doing signings and readings at they're great graphic designers all of that so I I mean I I enjoy being sort of a novice a beginner things because you kind of go in it without those fears attached so even like a small amount of success or a small amount of being proud of something that you're doing for the first time like it's it's at a very strong level right because Mm -hmm. it's your first experience with it so that's how I kind of take some of the stress away it's like you know even if I look back and thought and think man I could have did a lot more with this with these debut collections of work I'm you know I'm here I'm existing right now in the present I'm not existing in the future I can't worry about that so I'm going to be proud of myself regardless of how small it might seem to my future self uh, if that at all I'm Lauren Rhodes. You are listening to the podcast version of the Mississippi Arts Hour. The Arts Hour is a co-production of the Mississippi Arts Commission and MPB Think Radio. You can also listen to the show on Think Radio every Sunday afternoon at 5. To have access to all Arts Hour interviews, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. Hi, I'm Richard Gershon, the host of In Legal Terms and a professor at the University of Mississippi School of Law. If you miss a live In Legal Terms episode, find our podcast, inlegalterms.mpbonline.org. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. You're listening to the Mississippi Arts Hour on MPB Think Radio. I'm Lauren Rhodes with the Mississippi Arts Commission, and I'm talking with essayist and fiction writer, Exodus Octavia Brownlow. So Exodus, we were talking about your fiction chapbook before the break. I want to switch gears and talk about your essay collection. Um, I'm afraid that I know too much about myself now to go back to who I knew before, and oh Lord, who will I be after I've known all that I can? And so you said you, you didn't know, basically, the, the chapbook was coming out first and it was just mm-hmm. so coincidentally happened to also have this collection come out. Yes. So, I, you know, 
my entire focus, like I said, fiction has always been in my heart. So in in my mind, my next book, my next like official full length sort of collection was going to be uh, either a short story or a novel. Well, my publisher, ELJ Editions, was at AWP last year. And I, someone introduced them to my work and uh, the editor hit me up and asked if I had anything in the works. And I was like, oh, you know, I'm working on a short story collection, but nothing close. And basically allowed me to just sort of anytime that I was ready to send some work in uh, to them for consideration. I was like, cool, um, I'll think about it. So like with that on the back of my mind, a month had passed and I was like, you know, I got a while before I my short story collections are going to be done but I do have quite a bit of nonfiction, and I you know it's it's so weird because I never thought I'd be coming out with a nonfiction book at 30 like <laughs> to me I I feel like a person needs to live life before they write about life uh well that is so <laughs> you know essays I, I was okay sharing essays and creative nonfiction individually like I'm learning as I go but I never saw like a full book of nonfiction in my future, at least not now. So I was going through my my work and I was like, huh, this goes together, this goes together, this goes together. And while I was thinking about everything that went together naturally without like, tr like trying to force it basically for the page count, I had already been thinking about the title. So mm -hmm. I spent the weekend putting everything in order. I had my title. I sent it in and like I had my answer literally less than 48 hours and they loved it. So it was, it truly was a surprise. It, I promise you. And had, had my publisher not asked me if I was working on a book, it probably would not be existing today. Well, thank goodness for good publishers and good editors. I mean, they play such an important role out there. Um, but the title for this also kind of, has to do with the structure of the book. So can you talk about mm -hmm. how you came up with the title? I'd love to know more about that and how it structures the book as well. So you know how I was saying, like sometimes we have thoughts to ourselves that we just, you know, most of the times we keep to ourselves. It's just a random string of words. Well, I, I was thinking about, I was thinking about the creation of these pieces how I'm trying to learn about myself, right? Mm -hmm. And then I was thinking about, well, you know, I, I, at the time I felt like I knew something about myself, but not as much, or maybe I've changed my mind. So that title in combination with continuing to learn about myself in combination with that whole thing that I just said about you need to live life to write about life, it sort of allowed me to say, hey, I'm learning things, but I don't know like everything yet, or I might even potentially change my mind. So it just, it just, it literally just came to me as is. And I wrote it down and I, you know, maybe changed a word or two, played around with a little bit, but as soon as it was done, I was like, yes, that's it. And so for the the book in itself and the pieces and how they're related to the title, I tried to fit in specific pieces that would go with go well with like the first act or the second act or the third act of that title. Yeah, and I I'm at first I was like so surprised that these pieces had each been 
published before because they seem to flow so so beautifully together. Um, so I think that's just, you know, that that doesn't always work out. And I think it it works out beautifully in this collection. Um, there are so many pieces I loved in this book. And I especially love the ones that are about your grandmother. I know you have uh, a couple, at, at least two or three stories from my grandma's body is one. A grandma and granddaughter watch television together. Um, and it just seems like you and your grandmother have such a special relationship where you might not always agree on something, but you are willing to see the world from each other's point of view. Can you talk about um, talk about your grandmother and how she's an inspiration for your work? Absolutely. So my grandma is another one of the people who helped to raise me uh, just in the same way as my Aunt Nanny. And because family is such a huge inspiration for me, as I'm learning about myself, there's no way I could have um, could be talking about that without her influences. So everything from cooking to learning how to braid hair to even learning how to sew now, she's been part of that. And I think it's also such a huge part for me to just sort of remember her uh, and honor her in that way with my words and let her know that she, just how much she means to me and just how much it meant to have her direction as a child and as a writer. Has she read any of these pieces? Yes, like she definitely has and she asks about and she, she has read some of the book too and she's always asking me about you know whatever it is that I'm working on. She's a huge cheerleader but anytime I write something about her I'll just go over there because she lives in Greenwood and I'll read it to her too and just like get it let her get a sense that you know she's out here she's being published <laughs> she's being recognized <laughs> oh that's so awesome well I you've also written about your mother and your father and um you're writing about your family it it's infused with so much in affection and tenderness it seems like you guys have such a a great relationship do you have any considerations when writing about family members? I know it can get tricky sometimes with people interpreting words and, you know, wanting to be perceived a certain way. Not that that's an issue with your writing because it all seems very positive, but um, do you think about writing about family members before you decide to publish something? Definitely, because, you know, no one no one wants to be written about, I, I guess you could say badly. Um, and what I'm learning is also that even when we have these very bitter feelings towards families, whether the lessons were very toxic or in some case abusive or neglectful or just anything that's outdated, more often than not, um, those family members were doing the best that they could with what they've been taught. And, and you know, sometimes you have these great instances of people who you know, maybe they did experience something that um, was traumatic and somehow being able to overcome that and give you the best of their love and not letting that affect how they treat you. And in other cases, you don't. And so for me, anytime where I'm in a place where I'm like, mm, this feels a little bit too vulnerable to share, I either keep it for myself or as I always encourage, go to therapy for it. 
are mm-hmm. if you're comfortable and if it's safe to talk to them about it too. So anytime that I'm sharing something, it is from a healed place and, and not necessarily from a place where I'm seeking like revenge or anything like that. Yeah, I think that's sometimes writers can get in, into tricky situations and there's very different ways that and philosophies people have about approaching that. Um, and yeah, I think you you have such a good balance. Well, also in the in this collection and just as a writer, both in your fiction and your nonfiction, you're exploring themes of beauty and race and femininity in just really compelling and lyrical ways. Um, and I was really struck by your essays about hair and natural hair. Um, there's at least a couple in the in this book, and it sounds like your your thesis that you wrote at the W um, Afros maybe dealt with some of these themes as well. But could you talk about maybe what makes hair an interesting topic to explore in your writing? Um, for me, I. I became I was one of those naturals who who became natural before it was um a lot more mainstream as it is today. And so as I was saying it, bec- it it became a thing that I had to learn about myself. And for me it it and look especially looking back on it there's something to be said about having this quality to yourself whether it's something you've never noticed about your eye color or in my case, a hair texture that you never knew you had because the whole time, uh, or, for, or rather for the majority of your life, you have used uh, chemical relaxers in it to keep it straight. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, I, I had, I felt compelled to write about it because it was, it was crazy because here I am, you know, 16 years old and I didn't know that my hair was this type of curl. I didn't know that my hair could do this or, or do that. And it, it it showed me that we can be living with ourselves the whole time, but because of whatever lessons that we're learning, um, toxic lessons that are implanted in, in us to teach us that this isn't aesthetic, this isn't beautiful. And so you carry that with you and you do whatever you can to erase um, any... Um, any sign of that true natural self Mm -hmm. and that to me it was beautiful because to be able to overcome that to be able to look at look at it from a different lens in spite of what that society is saying and having a willingness to learn about yourself uh from that challenging place from that space of being a novice I had to write about it I did because um, it was just something that I was going through, family members were going through, friends, and it was exciting. So, um, yes, anytime that I'm I'm able to talk about myself um, from that lens, from that vulnerable place, and allowing myself to question what it is that I've been taught, I, I really do jump at the chance mm-hmm. and try to do the best job that I can, as we all are as writers trying to create the the, the best uh, final product as possible with the best words that represent what we're trying to say. Have you had any feedback from people reading, readers, you know, reading these essays that 
recognize your experience and and kind of feel similarly or have you had any feedback yet from folks who's you're just your work has just resonated with them every so often I do and often often it's sort of like commentary that I saw myself in this um I grew I grew up this way too I remember this and that's such a good feeling because again when I'm writing creative nonfiction I have to ask myself well what am I trying to say? Who am I sharing this this with for? Is it something I need to keep to myself for myself? Is it something that I should strictly discuss in therapy with a therapist? Is it something that I should just journal about? And so I'm taking a chance. I'm taking a risk when I write this piece and I get it published in hopes that it helps someone else. Like at the end of the day, that's all I really want to do with creative nonfiction. It's just to help someone else. So yeah, every so often I do. And, and and it definitely brings a smile to my face because it's like, yes, this has purpose beyond just me. Well, as someone who loves creative nonfiction and loves memoir, I hope you do keep writing it because um, you have such a lyrical voice and you add you have such an important voice as well. So I I'm just a big fan of you also as a as a nonfiction writer and a fiction writer. Um I, I'm just curious, do you consider yourself a Mississippi writer? Definitely. I, <laughs> every piece I write, whether it's fiction or nonfiction, has Mississippi in it. So uh-huh. uh, especially with the fiction, a lot of my settings take place in Mississippi. So there's no denying that origin there. Um, I'm going to represent it all day long in the best way, at least from my experience and, and from my hopes for what it could be. I'm going to, you know, put Mississippi in my pieces every chance that I can get. Well, I, I hate to wrap up this conversation, but um, because we have to, if folks are interested in learning more about your work, ordering your books, where's the best place to find out more about you? You can visit me at my website, www.exodus, E-X-O-D-U-S, Octavia, O-K-T-A-V-I-A, Brownlow, B-R-O-W-N-L-O-W, dot com. Thanks for listening to this MPB Think Radio podcast. MPB depends on support from listeners, so if you can, please contribute today at mpbonline.org. Hi, I'm Ryder Taff, Portfolio Manager at New Perspectives, a fee-only financial advisory and co-host of Money Talks. Each week, we take your personal finance questions and tell you about a money topic we hope you find helpful. Money Talks can be heard Tuesdays at 9 a.m. on MPB Think Radio. Podcasts can be found on our website, money.mpbonline.org, or on your smart devices podcasting platform.